Because you know it's all about that drought, about that drought, no water. It's all about that drought, about that drought, no water. It's all about that drought, about that drought, no water. It's all about that drought, about that drought, 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 drought. Yeah, it's pretty clear, we're really short on blue. It's time to save it, save it, like we're supposed to do. Some say it's doom, gloom, and all our grass must go. But together we can make it and enjoy our golden state. It's all about that drought, about that drought, no water. It's all about that drought. From the desert to the mountains, to the oceans, all across America, and back to wonderful downtown, beautiful San Bernardino. Welcome to the Water Zone, and a happy Thursday to everybody. And today is Ag Day, and which means we bring in the big guns from our place down in El Cajon, and that'll be Miss Inge Bisconer and Mr. Paul McFadden. How are you guys doing tonight? Doing great, uh, Rob. Uh, thank you. Great. Just, just doing fine. I don't know about the big guns, but we're here. <laughs> <laughs> well, I didn't have a script. But I just thought the big guns sounded pretty good, so that's why I put it yeah. in. <laughs> and, yeah, and, sure. and, you, and you guys are. We appreciate that. So uh, what do we got in store for tonight? Hey, we're going to be talking about agriculture in the desert southwest uh, tonight, uh, we have two great guests coming on. One is uh, a representative from a water district, one of the largest water districts in the country. And our other guest will be talking about the business uh, angle on helping farmers become better irrigators and adopt more water-efficient uh, technology. Excellent. Well, we're ready to go. I just want to remind everybody, you're listening to The Water Zone on KCAA 1050 AM, 106.5 FM. I'm Rob Starr, the host of The Normal Show. Uh, Mr. Barron is off uh, doing a a meeting and symposium in Rancho, California, so uh, we're very happy with that. So, Inge and Paul, it's all yours. Okay, thanks. Well, is Ben on the line? Ben, are you there? Yes, I am. Oh, wonderful. So uh, let me let me uh, let our our listening audience know a little bit more about you, our, our number one uh, guest tonight. Um, ben Brock is a senior program manage, uh, manager at the Imperial Irrigation District, one of the largest irrigation districts in the nation, as I just stated. In this position, Brock oversees several of the district's water conservation and management efforts, including IID's on-farm conservation programs, the Agricultural Water Clearinghouse and the Equitable Distribution Plan apportionment process. Sounds like a, a lot of stuff, Ben. Um, ben first joined IID in 2012, bringing with him more than 20 years of engineering and farm operations-related experience. He's a fourth-generation Imperial Valley farmer, and he has extensive knowledge of the unique growing conditions present in the desert southwest. He earned his Bachelor of Science degree in mechanical engineering at the University of Oklahoma, and he's an active member of the community engaged in several engineering and agriculturally related groups. So welcome to the show, Ben. Welcome, Ben. Thank you. Well, listen, uh, we'll just dive right into it, Ben. Um, We know that the Imperial Irrigation District and growers in the desert southwest produce a majority of our nation's winter vegetables, or at least I guess some of us know that, and now, now hopefully more people know that. Can you tell us where you get your water from and... What types of crops um, the Imperial Valley produces? Well, we're a unique district in in a few for a few reasons. One, 
uh, our water, we're wholly dependent on the Colorado River for our water supply. Uh, we're also almost entirely below sea level, and all of our distribution network is is gravity fed. So we're not relying on pumps for our main distribution. Um, in terms of, of crops, some of our top ten crops are alfalfa, wheat, uh, Sudan, Bermuda, lettuce, sugar beets, carrots, broccoli, onions, and of course, we'll also do some some melons. We have over 200 different crops that grow down here. So just a brief follow-up. I think you said that uh, all of the water comes from the Colorado River, and that it's all it's all gravity fed. Is that what you said? Or, uh, and no pumping. Uh, there are a few a few pumps, but that's not part of our main our main distribution. Excellent. Okay. And this is uh, so this is Paul. Gravity uh, network. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Uh, this is Paul. I just wanted to follow up on your question of crops. Uh, uh, I didn't hear uh, dates. I know that uh, that uh, in uh, some of the northern areas uh, uh, of your uh, district, uh, they grow quite a few dates, and I, uh, one of the few areas in the country, I believe. Is that right? Well, that's true. We do we do do we do grow some some dates out here. In fact. Back in the early 1900s, my great-grandfather came out here to manage a date orchard. That's how we ended up out here. I'll be darned. Oh, wow. Huh. It's interesting. Yeah, great-grandfather. So the uh, the Colorado River, uh, as everyone knows, uh, we're in this uh, extended period of drought, uh, you know, approaching uh, two decades. What are the some of the things that you and the folks at the Imperial uh, Irrigation District are doing to help growers uh, to conserve water, uh, given the situation with the Colorado River and our dependence on it. You know, back in in two thousand and three, we or uh, one of the the uh, groups that entered into the the QSA, there's a bunch of different agencies getting together and agreeing how California is going to share its water. Um, as part of that, we're participating in one of the largest. Act to urban water transfers, uh, and, but that's all predicated upon the premise that uh, it's not transferred unless it's conserved first. So we're not decreasing the productivity of our of our farmers with any water there. Um, so we've implemented a number of measures. We've over the years we've gone into we've changed our deliveries from straight 24-hour deliveries to going to 12-hour allowing 12-hour deliveries, giving growers more flexibility. Um, recently, we've kind of expanded the flexibility there, allowing them a little bit more more flexibility in turning their water on or, or off and trying to absorb that into the system. Um, you said a, a QSA. Some, uh, I'm sorry, you, you mentioned a QSA. What, what exactly is a QSA? Oh, the Quantification Settlement Agreement. And, and uh, explain to our listeners, if you would, uh, kind of the Reader's Digest version of the of the QSA. All right. The really short version of it is that California only gets so much water out of the Colorado River, and we have a lot of different agencies or or entities involved in that, and so we all agree to, if here's how much everyone gets, 
we're going to play nice, and we're going to cooperate. <laughs> well said. Yeah. So there's a different states and different agencies that are all competing for that same uh, uh, water in, in the Colorado, including uh, uh, countries, uh, Mexico and the U.S., and so we've all have, uh, have and a signed agreement. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Well, uh, you know, Ben, when I introduce you, uh, you're the manager of some conservation programs. Can you tell us a little bit about your work there and how you and IID are implementing conservation programs to your to your farmers, to your end users? So I'm I'm just dealing with the on-farm conservation. In addition to that, we have we have our system in conservation, our system conservation comprised of of inner ties to our canals, some some small system reservoirs so we can handle water that say shuts off early or changes and deliveries uh, the seepage recovery pumps, um, automation, lots of issues on the system, but I do but I deal with the on farm. So under one of our key on farm programs and on farm efficiency conservation program where we're paying farmers to implement conservation measures. You're, you're paying the farmers to implement conservation measures. Uh, we're paying them to to save water using conservation okay. measures. We're not paying for the measure itself. We're paying for for the water that they conserve. And okay, so you pay, a, you pay you so you pay them for the water, and do you then help them with um, methods or equipment to to um, to actually conserve the water? Are you part of that process, or you just pay them for the water that they conserve? In this case, we're we're paying them for the water that that they conserve. No, we do uh, we do try and provide them some flexibility. You say with the twelve-hour deliveries, or um, and work with them so that they can they can have a little bit of flexibility in in delivery, which helps them to implement some of these measures, but we're not really providing the conservation measure to them. They can implement any of a wide variety of conservation measures. And can you give us can you get can you give us an example of what some of those measures might be on the farm? So some of our our measures are field reconfiguration. Um, land loving, of course, big ones, drip, sprinklers, uh, linears or pivot machines, um, some improved irrigation scheduling and management. Pretty much anything you can imagine to save water. How about uh, technology, Ben? Are there, uh, uh, are, what is your experience with uh, in this area with farmers adopting new technology to help, uh, like uh, soil moisture monitoring, for example, or you know, web-based uh, programs to help them do their scheduling? Is it, are you seeing any of that, or hearing much about that? Well, there's the agricultural extension office out here that. That has some people that can help with that. A lot of private companies are offering those those services to growers. A lot of growers are developing that capability on their own. 
Uh, a lot of them have some soil moisture monitors. Um, they're much more aware of the technology that exists out there. Hmm. Um, I, you know, one of our big other big methods I neglected to mention uh, is cascading cascading deliveries and tailwater return systems, just to round out some of the really major conservation methods that we have implemented out here. So since that conservation is happening on the on the farmer side of the gate and you know that I'm curious how how do you verify or how do you calculate the savings that the farmer that the farmer achieves and that you ultimately pay for is it metered or measured in some way and is there like a baseline that it compares well, against, I, I I can imagine that that's kind of complicated. Maybe you can. Um, we can get us. we can get really into the weeds on that. But yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes, all of our deliveries are actually are actually measured. Um, now we don't have a a meter on all of our gates, um, but they are are all all measured. Agora puts in an order from ECFS. Zen Harrow, a person that, that goes out to the canals, opens up the gate, measures their delivery, makes sure that they stay on order throughout the day. If they were recording the the volume of water, the flow of water for them, so every we know how much water went to each one of those fields. Um, and then, so that's how much water went. We also do have historical records for how much water went went to the fields and to the various crops. For our on-farm conservation program, we're using we do use um, a historical baseline. Actually, what we're looking for in the on-farm program is we're our current program is paying for shifts in the efficiency of the field. There's a lot of different ways you could you could measure conservation. This particular program is measuring it by a change in the consumptive use fraction, uh, which we could just shorthand call the the efficiency of of the field. Um, so when you have an improvement in that, that will translate into a reduction in delivered water compared to what it, it would have been had you had the same growing conditions and growing things the way you did with no conservation method. So just looking at the historical consumption versus the new consumption, and paying them the difference, basically, because then you can use it for mitigating some of the effects of the drought that's going on, that sort of thing. Is that, is that correct? All right. Well, that, that's the simplest way. We're, we're a little bit more, more complicated in the current, current program. We're also looking at the, the effects of the weather and, and precipitation and, and the, the length of, of the crop. So it's more than just a difference. Okay. And how much water they historically put on the crop. Yeah, because historically it may have been a different crop that used less water, and now maybe it's there's a warmer or cooler time of the year. Yeah, well, yeah, <laughs> different weather with different uh, consumptive use by the crop. So you you do make some adjustments. You're looking at what crop was growing and then making adjustments on what should that have used maybe in, in, historically and well, we end now? up with a specific baseline for for the combination of crop and soil type. Okay. 
So we get into a fairly detailed model for for the crop requirements and what the baseline is. Okay. That sounds really uh, uh, like a uh, thorough model that you guys have developed. What kind of challenges have you faced in creating this program? It, it sounds like it didn't happen overnight. It uh, sounds very extensive. So for our baseline period, we're going back. We can go back further. Right now we're using the period that goes back all the way to 2003. And so we've analyzed over 200,000 crop seasons, which we're using to get our, our baseline information from. And all of so we, we have pretty extensive records that we've had for deliveries historically in crops, so it's a lot of work going through that. Um, some of our challenges are, of course, getting getting the information out to, to our growers that, hey, this program is there. We've had the program running for for years, but we still have people that say, oh, I didn't know that, that I could do that. Uh. <laughs> or, I, you know, I've been, I'm, I, I, mean, I know the drought's going on, and we've got apportionment. I want to make sure that I can, can grow what I need to and fit within that, and I want to do some conservation measures or I started to do something. Um, and, I didn't know that you had this program I could sign up to and say, yeah, we want. So we're still, by now most of the community knows about, but we still have, have some people. And then uh, the, just the complexity of the program. Uh, right now the, the current program, just some of the basic stuff we could went into without even getting into all the models behind it, uh, starts to get difficult to, to explain to a person. And hard to give them the, the certainty of, okay, when I sign up for the program, how do I know what I'm going to get paid for the conservation? Do I have any kind of number or um, what? How do I, with all the combinations of crops and soil types, uh, what what's the final number going to be? So that that's kind of one of the challenges there. Yeah, I think we all have that challenge, communication, you know, and how to educate and learn effectively these days is a challenge. Uh, you know, a lot of people don't want to read and, and take time, um, so it really requires one-on-one -on -one verbal. So that's a challenge for you. Uh, can, can you can you give a um, like an average number of what the growers are earning for conserving water? Is there an average dollar per acre foot or something like that? Well, what, what you know? So how does it benefit the district? So when we first started with the the QSA and we were ramping up, we have some transfer obligations, and we're ramping up to that through a combination of system efficiency improvements. Um, but when we first started, some of our conservation was coming from fouling. Um, but we've shifted away to that, so now we're now we're all we're getting to be all on farm and system efficiency improvements uh, and our on-farm conservation rate is 285 per acre foot. Two, I mean, we're talking $285, per, $285 per acre foot. That's, that's pretty um, substantial. 
Well, it's, it's certainly nothing to sneeze at. Yeah. Well, that makes water But some of these methods are can be expensive to to implement. Sure. And this doesn't necessarily pay them entirely for implementing for implementing a method, but it does certainly help help get them off the fence if they're if they're considering implementing a method or not. Yeah, um, it's and not it's, necessarily something pretty... that's going to pay for itself in one season. If you're going to put in a drip system, but maybe maybe over the life of the of the crop and the measure, you should come out okay. And has it been pretty popular? Have, have a lot of growers used it? It has been pretty popular. We've uh, we keep ramping up. I I think we're going to meet all of our conservation targets for this year. Last year we we blew past our, our initial target of what we we're trying to get for signups. Um, as oh, more people know about it, it it uh, we get more more interest. I'm starting to now I'm starting to to worry that I'm that I'm going to get overcommitted. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, we have a lot of people. They take us they take us very seriously. Sure. Here, I mean water. We're fully dependent on the Colorado River for agriculture here, um, so we take we take the overall condition of the Colorado very seriously and in our use of the water seriously. So, Ben, in our in our closing uh, few minutes or minutes or so we have left, are there any final thoughts that you would like to leave our listeners with uh, on on behalf of the Imperial Irrigation District? Well, I know that we're we expect to continue to get to get better. Um, still looking for for additional additional ways that we can find uh, continue to use water more efficiently. Find additional conservation. We expect to see uh, additional changes, especially adoption of technology in the future. Moving forward, additional automation both on our system level and and even for for growers, we have a few growers that are adopting automated irrigation systems, not necessarily like a linear system, although there are some of linears and pivots are some of those, but more like a traditional surface irrigation that's automated using moisture moisture meters to control the the timing um, and automated gates instead of necessarily using an irrigator, so allowing them to be even more precise on their application. Uh, we expect to see an increased use of, of not just soil moisture meters, but uh, ET calculations, small, maybe small weather stations where people can get an estimate of their, their crop's water consumption right there for their particular crop instead of say, the general data that they get out of the FEMA station. And who knows what's going to happen with the proliferation of the unmanned aerial systems and the ability to maybe get some some specific imagery of your own field and see not just not just how your crops are doing, but see the individual areas in your field that are going to need a little bit of extra attention, allowing you to improve your overall irrigation uniformity. And we have a lot of lot of potential. Well, I'm I'm encouraged. Uh, uh, 
Ben, we really appreciate you taking the time to join us today on the Water Zone. Uh, conversation has been uh, stimulating and very uh, insightful. We appreciate your uh, your effort to make the time to be with us and share this great information with the listeners. Thank you. Well, welcome back to the Water Zone on KCEA, 1050 AM, 106.5 FM. And for those of you who want to call in, today is Ag Week. And if you're calling local, it's 909-888-5222. And outside the 909 area code, please dial 888-909-1050. Well, we're going to go hand it back to the maestros of micro-irrigation technologies, Miss Inge Bisconer and Paul McFadden. And it's all yours, guys. Thanks, Rob. Appreciate it. Uh, Our next guest is uh, Richard Arias. Richard, are you here? I am here. Excellent. Let me uh, let me introduce you to our uh, welcome. First of all, nice to have you with us. Welcome, Richard. Let me uh, introduce you uh, to uh, our listening audience. Uh, Richard is the general manager of sales and strategic accounts for Southwest Water and Agriculture for RDO Equipment, uh, one of the largest uh, John Deere equipment dealers in the world. His role is uh, collaborating with both the Southwest Water and Southwest Agriculture or equipment regions to create a strategic and single enterprise approach for customers in the area working closely with RDO Water International uh, or RDO de Mexico located in Baja, Mexico. Richard uh, joined RDO Equipment in 2013 with the acquisition of uh, WaterTech Ag Supply where he previously served as the division manager. Richard holds a bachelor's degree in finance from University of San Diego. He and his family live here in the San Diego area. Welcome. Thank you. So from uh, your uh, time as uh, with a finance degree and from University of San Diego, how did you ever end up in the ag irrigation business? Uh, yeah, mom and dad started uh, doing custom sprinkling for farmers in Imperial Valley in the early 80s. Uh, a farmer invited my stepfather down to Imperial Valley to do a landscape project. Uh, he was a landscaper here in San Diego, and they needed some uh, temporary labor and offered him a job to do some uh, custom sprinkling for some watermelons. And family moved down there. Uh, shortly thereafter, and they formed a business called WaterTech, and the uh, business started uh, very, very small and very much uh, labor-oriented, and by uh, 2013, they'd grown into a, a very large organization over several uh, regions and ended up selling the business to RDO. Why, uh, Why? Uh, obviously, because your family uh, has been in it for a long time, Richard, but uh, why is it the passion for you? I I know you're passionate about this industry and, and growing food and and uh, using water efficiently. Why is it uh, Why is it a passion for you? You know, I, I think the, the single driving factor is that you educate yourself, you start realizing uh, what our natural resources mean to this world. Uh, what water in particular means to this world, and the growing population that we have. As I am about to have my first child here in September, I start asking myself, how are they going to feed their children? And how are they going to provide for their families? And it is becoming more and more obvious that 
we need to protect our resources, and water being probably the single largest resource that we need to pay attention to. Yeah, and I bet uh, yeah, your 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 child on the way has really probably crystallized that for you even more than than before. Um, well, tell us tell us how your how you're transitioning. I mean, yeah, you've basically grown up with a family business that got very large and very successful, and now you're with, you know, a huge company, RDO Equipment. Um, tell us how you transitioned there and how and why they are motivated to get into irrigation. I mean, they're, they're a big equipment company. What motivated them to get into irrigation? Well, one of the, uh, the founders, uh, Ron Offit, a lot of people don't know, but he's uh, a very large potato grower. He's probably, uh, him and J.R. Simplot rival each other as far as uh, size of farms that they manage. And he's passionate about being a farmer first. And when he came to my family, uh, they, they were interested in, in understanding the same uh, general situation of where the uh, water conservation needs to be. And they felt that it was a business that they could benefit from. So they approached us. And what they really saw was that by being, you know, not only a, a farmer, but an equipment provider, they saw the water piece as a uh, final uh, component to the enterprise. And they, they saw a business that was uh, family-run, and they had the capital to improve the business so that we can really take the technologies and the opportunities that we have and take them to the market and not only help their clients on the equipment side, but also help the water clients that we were in existing farmers we were working with with more resources. And RDO has embraced the concept that they need to spend money to educate the customer base so that we can be more efficient and do a better job on the farm both from the food to table, as well as the use of our resources. Hmm. That's very interesting. What um, what uh, what is RDO Water doing uh, uh, as far as the changes with irrigation practices and water use from uh, other types of farming efficiencies in the desert? So, in other words, what... Um, you know, there's uh, all different types of irrigation. There's sprinkler irrigation, there's flood irrigation, there's drip irrigation. What do you see, Richard, uh, uh, as the future, the direction, and what is uh, what is you what are you and your company doing uh, with uh, uh, with those uh, technologies, and how are you engaged? I guess is the better way to say it. Yeah, we spent a tremendous amount of effort into not only changing some internal uh, practices we do and. You know, we have a existing rental fleet where we rent uh, irrigation equipment to farmers. Uh, we've we since invested, uh, gosh, just the last year over six million dollars in improved technologies. Uh, this particular case, using plastic pipe that uh, doesn't allow uh, the water to leak out of the system, as aluminum pipe does. They have what a drain down effect as the system depressurizes, and we have. Uh, basically growing our fleet uh, from our existing aluminum fleet to this plastic fleet by almost 20%. Uh, and we now are servicing 
almost 15,000 acres of, of pipe. Uh, so that, that's one example of what RDO is investing to take advantage of the technology available. But we're also doing quite a bit of trial work with a lot of growers. As we've had technologies come to market, you know, there's the technologies are fantastic, but if you can't integrate them into your daily farm practices, then they're really ineffective. So we've been spending a, uh, a significant amount of resources, uh, personnel, and dollars in working with growers to bring technologies and integrate them so they can use them as as they were meant to be used. And I think this year we're going to put out roughly almost a half a million dollars of just trial work to get growers exposed to technology and to help develop best practices for them so they can have future successes. Okay, that's a that's a really big investment, but of course the opportunity is is huge. As uh, I've mentioned before on the show, uh, even though California has done a fantastic job of improving water use efficiency with technology, we're we're the leading state in the nation of adopting you know drip irrigation. For instance, sixty five percent of the nation's uh, drip acres are here in in California, but there's still something like four million acres in the state that's gravity irrigated and could probably um, you know, it, it uh, um, warrants investment to not only conserve water, perhaps, but to increase the production. So, if if you you know if if you're having to do trial work, uh, half million dollars worth of trial work, can you explain to us what what are you trying to prove out in the field, and what is what is the um, Challenge, yeah. What's the challenge to the grower? Are they, do they just not believe that the uh, technology will work, or we haven't figured out yet how to use it on certain crops? Maybe. Well, yeah. There's there's a couple of different challenges, but I think I think the first challenge we see is the, the cost perspective. You know, as commodities, you know, if the crop prices move up and down, growers have very very strong planning, financial planning, and when we start looking at capital investment above and beyond the general equipment and the labor to manage their farms, they really want to make sure they get a, a reasonable return on investment. And we haven't proved out the, the theory with technology on a more regular basis that we get better crops, better yields, better water efficiency, better fertilizer efficiency. We, we bring technology to these farmers, and we say, yeah, we, it works, and we think it works in theory, buy it. And that, that's not working. So it's spending the time to, to work with the growers to, to take the different technologies, integrate them into their best practices, work with their labor force so that they can run the systems as well, and then allow them to see the, the benefits. We have drip irrigation is a great example. Drip irrigation is a great um, there's a great yield improvement on alfalfa. We've seen that. We've seen it proven out several times. However, in some soil types, we can't use drip irrigation because of the salinity level. We can't keep the crop and get the stand the way we'd like. So what do we do? Well, we should be using, you know, a solid set solution, and we can do the same automation and injection and um, controls that we can with drip with a solid set solution. So it's it's letting the growers see how to use the different technologies to improve their yields. And we, as an industry, have done very little to prove out 
why these technologies work as well as they do. So you're basically um, a business extension, you know, you're doing extension work at the business level to help the growers not only see the uh, productivity, but the economic benefit. Absolutely. While you're developing best practices. And, and we're learning that not, there's some, in some situations, there's multiple uh, irrigation methods that can be used to improve crop performance and water efficiency. And I think that's where we need to understand the true cost uh, and cost benefit of the solution. So, you know, a good example would be we're using solid set irrigation to germinate an alfalfa crop and then to push the salt down during the germination process, use the drip irrigation to maintain the crop, and then coming back every six to nine months to readdress the salt issues that may be rising in the soil to help to help keep the plant growth stable. There, there are different reasons to use different methodologies, but we get so stuck on the cost factor that we don't look at how we can use everything available to us. So bottom line, uh, is, this, is this helping the state with, its, uh, with water issues? I mean, I, I think we all know that most growers adopt better technology to become more profitable, but is there a water component of this, that um, is, is this technology is it helping to make water more available, or help, help helping us deal with fewer water resources? I, I think that you know where we get in the debate of water savings versus the, the amount of units of water used produce a unit of crop. And today, by using the technologies effectively, we are growing more crop with the same amount of water than prior methodology and prior techniques. Right. So, yes, we're absolutely saving water by, by allowing more food production in the same space. Yeah, we if like to want, use the term water use efficiency, and it's really crop per drop, more, you know, more crop per unit of input, right? Absolutely. And that's where the benefit really is with the acreage and the water that we're using in Imperial Valley. Yeah, that's fantastic. So before we go on, Richard, I think we're talking about uh, uh, company, your company, RDO Water, implementing changes and practices. We talked about a lot of things that you guys have done uh, from the company looking out. I know for a fact you have invested a tremendous amount in, in your personnel, your, your people, training folks uh, on, on very specific uh, levels of, and types of irrigation uh, very, in a very professional setting. Could you talk about that and, and, and how uh, RDO Water is investing in, their, in your people? Yeah, we have spent a good amount of time improving not only our installation, um, best practices, but uh, our automation and technology group. The, the service side of the business is really interesting. If we go and do an installation, and we do a bad installation, and pipes are breaking, and uh, pipes are leaking, valves are leaking, then we really fail. So we, we have three uh, foremen now that are out there, and all, all they do is go out and look and troubleshoot and guarantee our work by making sure that we're following industry best practices when it comes to gluing techniques, 
when it comes to product selection, uh, when it comes to uh, the use of heavy equipment. And you would think that some of these, these details are very simple, but when you're putting together a thousand acres of drip irrigation in you know four weeks, mistakes are made. So we're we're creating uh, information system additions that allow us to check off every stage of every installation, every design. It it all has a a troubleshooting phase where a second or third set of eyes looks at every aspect of what we do with an irrigation system. On so the Richard, technology, go ahead. And then from a technology perspective, we've sent multiple people to Israel, uh, Israel uh, and Mexico uh, to get additional training with the high-end high uh, technology producers. And that has been very beneficial to the organization. Yeah, well, I was just gonna—I was just gonna ask. Sorry to interrupt. Uh, it sounds like you're doing a tremendous amount of work to make sure that your installations are done properly and and hold hold up as they should. Uh, what about after sales and the scheduling of the irrigations and the maintaining of them, like chemigation and and uh, flushing the systems and that sort of thing? Are you involved in that at all in helping the growers, um, you know, properly run the systems and maintain them? We, we have a training program for best practices for maintenance. Uh, we do not have an uh, aftermarket service opportunity developed yet. We do, however, have uh, monitoring services for pumps so that if there are issues with uh, pumps, valves, uh, et cetera, we have, we have a group of people that look online 24 hours a day at the systems. Yeah, well, that's great. That's interesting. So uh, we learned uh, from our uh, previous guest uh, about the uh, Imperial Irrigation District and the water source uh, coming from uh, solely from the Colorado River. And uh, we know that in uh, seeing pictures of the river that uh, the, the, it uh, looks like chocolate milk uh, at, at different times of the year. How do growers deal with that? I know you you offer a number of different filter solutions uh, for growers, but uh, is that a big deal? Is it something that uh, that you guys spend a lot of time thinking about and solving? You know, the, with the drip irrigation uh, solutions, the filtration is is very important, and one of the the ways that we are accommodating the change in the Colorado River uh, source and the water quality is by creating settling ponds where we can settle out the, the solids that are running through and then allow them to uh, run cleaner water through the uh, filtration system. Um, with the solid set or the, you know, and the flood irrigation aspect, we're not as sensitive to the water quality from a practical use, salinity issues uh, and food safety issues. Uh, that's a whole other discussion. Yeah, and our, actually our previous guest was telling us about the, the QSA, um, uh, the Quantification Settlement Agreement, and also the on-farm um, efficiency programs, for instance, from the IID. Do you see much of that? Does that 
generate interest in improving technology from from a business perspective in your in your eyes? No, it has, uh, especially from the flood irrigated acres converting to a solid set use. Uh, I think one of the opportunities that we have with that program is how we measure the results. Uh, I think it's great that we're changing technologies, and I think it's great that we're starting to look towards the future uh, water-saving aspect, but I think it's, there's a component missing when it comes to giving the, the grower the, the tools for the best, best practice application and using that tool to its fullest capability. Because if we take a, a drip system, for example, and we, we give a grower a brand-new solution and he runs it like he would a flood system and irrigates the same way he and puts the same amount of water on he would with flood, do we really get the benefit for those dollars? So it's the measurement of the use of the tools and the measurement of the dollars that are uh, being provided. So uh, what do you see uh, in the future? If you have to look into your crystal ball, Richard, and, and see what uh, what's going to happen in the desert, you know, in the next uh, five to ten year horizon, let's say, with water, water use, water use efficiency, crops and farming, what, what do you... Uh, what do you think is going to change, or will there be any changes? You know, I think we have very progressive farmers in, in the region. I think there's a balancing act between what we're willing to pay for the food produced, what they can make financially, and, and what they can invest uh, each year. But the, the farmers are starting to see significant benefit in, in changing, changing practices. You know, drip irrigation on alfalfa, you know, when as the price was $300 a ton, we couldn't take enough calls uh, for people wanting to put in new projects. When it drops to $150 an acre, uh, the, the calls basically stopped. So we need to um, do a better job of, you know, proving out uh, the return on a drip irrigation system for alfalfa, but that price doesn't affect the demand and their and their reason to not move towards the proper technology for their crop. As far as you know, the future goes, I I see farmers looking to find ways to to sustain their current acreage, and if they continue to have constraints on water, then they'll continue they'll continue to change their practices to be successful with the amount of resources they're given. Do you see the demographics of the farmers themselves changing much? In other words, uh, you see them getting smaller or bigger or more corporate or uh, more organic. Um, you know, there's lots of trends going on. Do you see something in particular happening in the Southwest? I think we're seeing the second and third generation. Uh, and fourth generation, the fifth generation, but that next generation seems to come in with more education um, and more willingness to try new uh, technologies, new practices. And as that continues to, to grow, we're seeing those farms be able to get, those farmers and those farming groups get much bigger um, because they're doing more with less from a resource standpoint, capital inputs and so forth. But I think that will continue to uh, progress where the the medium farmer will become a very large farmer, and then the corporate farming will just continue to grow. And you will either have a small farmer working for a large corporate farmer 
or you will have somebody become that next large corporate farmer. We have a lot of venture capital money coming into the space uh, on a weekly basis, uh, doing farm management, as well as land acquisition, and they are putting in the technology and then re-renting the ground to farmers. So I think that trend will continue as long as you know, we need to have consistent crop prices and we don't have any, any change in our food demand. So, in, as we wrap up our conversation, Richard, what uh, advice would you have for for farmers that uh, uh, you would like to share with our listeners to improve uh, sustainability and optimize water use efficiencies uh, in the in this desert area that we've been discussing this evening? I think the one message I'd like to give everybody, every farmer that's considering, you know, changing practices or wanting to figure out how to be more efficient is spend less time focusing on the price of the solution and spend more time looking on the benefits of using the solution. We, we get so caught up in what a change will cost that we sometimes miss how much we will gain, not only from a financial aspect, but a resource management aspect. Um, I would encourage the growers to to try in a larger scale. You know, so often we get somebody asking us, well, let me try it for an acre. And, and that doesn't give a true scale of what the benefit is. Try, try different ideas and different products in larger scale. Take a little more risk so you can understand the uh, intrinsic as well as extrinsic benefits from it. And then the last thing I would say to, you know, the group would be, um, really look at what's happening to the quality of the crop you're producing and the yield variances that you gain by using technology and understanding more and more about why you're successful. I think we have a lot of growers that are amazing when it comes to growing a crop, and they do it still by touch. And I think if they really documented how they were doing it, they could find how to, to really improve what they do and become that much more successful with what we have. So the increase in yield and the increase in quality and the possible reduction of inputs all spill more money for the grower that basically offsets the cost of the upgrade. I mean, is that kind of what you're saying? Absolutely. So it's kind of a, uh, uh, a payback. You, you would hope that they would look at the payback of the investment and actually, that points to a tool that we have on our website called the Payback Wizard that growers could use to, to do that analysis. Well, I think that's great advice, Richard. I think, uh, Rob, I think we're up on station break again. We really appreciate you uh, joining us this evening and wish you success as uh, you just continue to move on to bigger and better things. And good luck with a new baby on the way. Yes. <laughs> uh, thank you very much. Uh, great to have you on the show, Richard. Thank you. Thank you. Talk to you Great All you. right. We're well, just... Rob, uh, that, wraps, that wraps up another water zone from uh, from the from the ag maniacs down here in uh, El Cajon. Well, we got about three minutes left. Just a couple things, real quick. Do you know what month next month is? What's the specialty? Well, it's uh, Smart Irrigation Month. Absolutely, and uh, 
Just so everybody knows who lives in the southern part of Riverside County, Eastern Municipal Water District and Rancho California Water is having a water festival, and it's going to be held at the Temecula uh, Promenade Mall at 10 o'clock till 2 o'clock. There's going to be irrigation people, uh, all kinds of uh, companies who can tell you how to save water, and it should be good. It's free to the public. So uh, we, we ask a lot of people to go down and support them. And it was quite interesting on, on, on your guests talking about how farmers innovate to fight the drought. I mean, you know, if you take a look at the old statistics where it takes 1.1 gallons, and if you're into metric 4.2 liters, uh, to grow one almond, that, that sounds like it sounds pretty bad, and people get really angry about it, and they, they make a villain out of, out of the, uh, the people. But what people don't understand is, you know, the almond industry has been experimenting with giving the trees variable amounts of water from 70 to 100% of the normal feed to see where it, uh, the crop really goes. And sometimes, you know, it takes, you can grow more with less, but sometimes if you get to a certain limit, then, you, then, then it doesn't really benefit anybody. So as the gentleman previously said, you got to experiment and see what it is, and it depends on what kind of system you have, what kind of uh, uh, soil you have, and all that. And it's a lot of science to that, and it's not a simple task just to throw something up, and, and hopefully it's going to work right. you got to have all the facts, and that's what you guys are bringing to the show, and we appreciate that with your guests that you have. Yeah, and we also have to remember that they're growing those almonds for people to eat. You know, we, we all eat and we need to uh, consume calories per day, and those calories have a certain water footprint associated with them. And actually, almonds have a lot of good protein, and they're, you know, yeah. well, perishable. So they get, they get kind of a bad rap. Well, uh, what, I agree. Well, what people don't understand, it's not just about the nut, which is 25% of the fruit. Uh, it's also the shell comprising 25%, which provides bedding for animals, fuel for biomass hunt. And, 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 and it's the hull uh, that's 50% of the fruit that's used to feed cattle. So it's a lot more than just the nut. So anyway, thanks, everybody, for listening to The Water Zone. Uh, be in next week. We have a special guest, Congressman Tim McClintock. And uh, we'll have a good show. You guys have a great week. And thanks, Inky and Paul and our guests. Talk to you next week. Okay, see you later.